Thank you, Darren, uh, and the rest of the Worship Arts team, our, um, our, our friend and our staff member and elder, Keith Pipes, is in San Francisco uh, with his wife, Carol, on vacation. And as this is the last Sunday that I'm going to be preaching to you all as your pastor, prayerfully I'll be back to preach again. Um, but just um, unfettered with... No, I've never been fettered. Um, but uh, we've got uh, uh, some people on vacation, but uh, like Keith. But it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of fitting that Darren would lead us in worship uh, this morning because Darren led uh, the music portion of worship my first Sunday uh, here as pastor at Friendship, except for it was in an elementary school gymnasium that we set up the night before, and, um, and that was quite the adventure. Uh, just as a disclaimer, uh, I want to say it up front, I plagiarized this morning's sermon that you're about to hear. Uh, I plagiarized it for three reasons. One, uh, it was a crazy busy week getting our house ready for an open house yesterday and an open house today. And so today, uh, I'm not going to linger long. I'm going to linger a little, but I'm not going to linger long. I'm not going to be the last person out because we've got a, a scheduled lingering on Tuesday night um, with Rick Roberts hosting. Uh, so that was reason number one. Number two, uh, I didn't know if I could keep it together, <laughs> uh, being that this is my last sermon with you all as pastor, and there's... Uh, so much to say. And so I didn't know how I would pack it all in. Last week was literally and figuratively my Deuteronomy and another thing sermon. So you're not going to get that today because I plagiarized this one in almost totality. But the third reason that uh, I'm plagiarizing a sermon today is I thought it would be interesting to see how my first sermon that I ever preached as pastor at Friendship, how that first sermon would work as a last sermon uh, after almost five years together. So my apologies to anyone that was hoping that we would text through a passage today. I'm going to plagiarize myself, except for a few edits for context in 2021. So, um, so... With regards to that disclaimer, let's see how that uh, first welcome sermon holds up as a so long sermon. So as most of you know, a part of my past is that I was a volleyball coach for almost 10 years at a university. And so for me, uh, I really do have a competitive spirit. Do I have any other competitors in the room? Some of you are too slow. You're not competitive enough. You aren't high enough. Uh, I'm competitive by nature, and I was raised in a family with five siblings, and I was the youngest, and we had to compete for everything, especially not having much money. We were poor before we knew we were poor, so we would have to compete for the last piece of fried chicken, the last brownie, the last towel that wasn't dirty or wet on the floor. I had four older sisters, and I still cannot fathom why teenage girls need three bath towels every time they, 
get out of the shower. I, I, I don't know, one for each third. But anyways, I was raised competitively. So this morning, my, cons- my competitive spirit was challenged with, what are you going to bring friendship, community, church, on your first slash last Sunday as a pastor? The thing that I thought of was, if I was competitive by nature, which I am, I need to bring a sermon that tops all other sermons, that I finish with the best, that I impress, that I finally win you over with the last sermon. So let's see if my best sermon was my first and my last, or maybe my first sermon was the best, and it was just downhill from there. And so instead of going like this, we're going like this. You know, it's like we're finishing the pothole. That's, all right. So this morning, the sermon is entitled, Welcome to the Body. And I'm talking about what it means to be a part of a church. So we're going to start off by reading from the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 12, a, a chapter that we've read a number of times over the past four and a half, almost five years here. At friendship. And we're going to start with verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12, and go all the way through verse 26. And that's going to be our base text for this morning. So let's look at God's word. But before we do, let's pray. Let's talk to God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true in its original inspiration, in its original languages and manuscripts. And Father, thank you for all the different translations and translators that have made God's Word more accessible, your Word more accessible to our brains, to our vocabulary. But Father, it's not our brains or our vocabulary or our academic study that, that truly ingests your Word as food, as as guidance, but it's your Holy Spirit, Father, that illuminates our hearts and opens our minds to the truths that lie within. So, Father, we come humbly. We come humbly to you and ask you to do just that, to open our hearts and minds and ears and eyes to what you would have us glean from your word this morning, give us supernatural understanding, and work in our hearts through your word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit for in fact the body is not a single member but many if the foot says feet i don't know why paul uses a foot analogy here but okay and it's a talking foot which is even worse but here we go back to scripture if the foot says since i am not a hand i am not part of the body it does not lose its membership in the body because of that and if the ear says since i am not an eye i am not part of the body it does not lose its membership in the body because of that if the whole body were an eye what part would do the hearing if the 
whole were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided. If they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I do not need you. On the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential. And those members we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unpresentable members are clothed with dignity. But our presentable members do not need this. Instead, God has blended together the body, giving greater honor to the lesser member, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If, one, if a member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now, typically, what we do here is we look at the Scripture and we see what the Scripture says about God and humanity, the truths that we find about God in this passage and the truths that we find about humanity and we interact. This morning, there's going to be less interaction, uh, at least out loud, but I would encourage you to do this if you haven't already. Start to underline in your Bible or take notes as far as the truths that you see about who God is through this passage and who we are. But here are some of my observations, especially coming from my first sermon with you all years back. This scripture that Paul writes to the church in Corinth is one of not only encouragement and instruction, but also correction. You see, the church in Corinth at the time, the time of Paul's letter to them, uh, the church was in a little bit of disarray. Not only disarray, but for not only disarray for what to believe, but how to conduct itself as a church, as a body. Uh, and they were disarray in disarray of, as far as how they were treating one another. This word, this word picture that Paul paints of uh, is one of the body. You notice that he talks about the self-deprecating and, and unconfident parts of the body, right? Like, oh, I'm just a foot, I'm not a hand, or he addressed these parts of the body that thought less of themselves than they should, but he also dealt with those parts of the body that said, well, I'm an eye, what use have I of an ear? Did you know that there are 37.1 trillion cells in the human body. Uh, after the pandemic, it's more like 38.1 trillion. But uh, 37.1 trillion cells. The rough population of the earth is somewhere around 7 billion. 7 billion people versus 37.1 trillion cells in one body. So if you want to talk about a community that has to be knit together and work together in harmony together, it's the human body. 
So it's no coincidence that Paul uses this as the body, as a word picture to instruct the church. But here's the thing. This body is not a body without a head because a headless body is a what? Dead body. That's right. A headless body is a dead body. We're talking about a human body, not a chicken. You know, you've heard about a chicken with its head cut off and it runs around and da-da-da-da. There's a, a little bit of a picture of that with some churches as well. <laughs> uh, that it does run around and scurry around and spurting everywhere. Um, hey, it's my last sermon. What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. Um, a headless body is a dead body. One of my favorite... Uh, I didn't like a lot of scary movies or scary cartoons when I was a kid, but there was one scary cartoon that I would watch. Uh, it would come on TV once a year, uh, right around Halloween, and it was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Now, the book was originally written by Washington Irving, but who was the main character of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow? Actually, there were two. There was Ichabod Crane, right? He was kind of the skinny, scaredy-cat man who encounters a, who, a what? A headless horseman, right? Now, in the book, before you read this with your children, in the book, the headless horseman actually carries around the severed head, his severed head, and then he throws his severed head at people, okay? That's the book. Now, in the cartoon, he rides around with what? Yeah, a flaming jack-o'-lantern, right? It's like flames are coming out, and, it, and so it was like, okay, this, this is better for little kids, um, but the book is a, a, a little bit more grisly, the, the, but here's the thing, the, the headless horseman really couldn't ride a horse. That's why it's fiction, you know, let alone throw his head at people um, in some sort of horseback road rage. Um, so a headless body is a dead body. Uh, did you know that not only scientists, uh, but also surgeons across the globe have successfully reattached severed limbs, have transplanted organs. There's even been transplanted faces. And yes, some of you are thinking of John Travolta and Nicolas Cage in that horrible movie, Face Off. Uh, pretty much anything but National Treasure by Nick Cage is awful. Um, every Nicholas, really, we need to pray for Nicholas Cage. We need to pray for him, right? Anyways, pray to yourself. But um, surgeons in almost, in fact, surgeons in an almost third world country, that is uh, Turkey, successfully transplanted a womb into a woman that was born without one, and doctors found that she successfully menstruated with this donated womb. I mean, we can transplant everything except for the head. Now, there may be a time in the future where transplanted heads are the newest rage, uh, but currently, what makes you, you? Is it your hands? Is it your kidneys? Is it your eyes, your cornea. Um, we have a staff member that had a cornea transplant 
Isn't that amazing? And you probably didn't even know that. Now you're going to be staring into their eyes and going, which one of you is it? What currently makes you you? Is it your hands, your feet, your lungs, your cornea? No, it's your head that makes you because it contains your brain, your memories, your personality. But a headless body is a dead body. Now, what I want to do next is for us to jump over to another letter from Paul to another church, uh, the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Now, this is what Paul writes. He, and Paul is referring to Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him. And for him, he himself is before all things, and all things are together, held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that he himself may become first in all things. What does this say about our church and our churches when we worship the wrong thing, when we attach the wrong head, flaming pumpkin or otherwise. When a church worships a man, when a church worships a building, when a church worships an identity, a, a logo, or even a motto or a vision statement, that is a church that has no real head. If you worship me, not recommended, uh, if you worship me, I am no more a head than a flaming pumpkin. And frankly, there are a lot of churches that fall prey to worshiping a pastor or worshiping a building. I came from, before friendship, I came from the fellowship. Uh, many of you know about the fellowship. And the fellowship was renamed and rebranded. It used to be called Two Rivers Baptist Church. And that, it was that huge mega church that was right across from Opry Mills. That state-of-the-art facility, that magnificent structure, that identity is no longer. The deed to that property is no longer in the name of that church. You see, when we worship a man, an identity, a building, uh, anything or anyone that isn't Christ, we're really just holding on to a flaming jack-o'-lantern that really turns the church, the, the body that's supposed to have Jesus as the head, it turns the church into this terrorizing specter riding around town and hurting people. And most of all, hurting people oftentimes within the church. But that's not the picture that Paul paints in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So for us to be the body, to be the church, we have to recognize that we are not even hands and feet, but we're cells, right? Okay, we might be 
elbows. Someone in the room might be a tonsil, right? The tonsils, which are fine until they keep irritating and irritating and irritating, and then we've got to cut them out. But the good news is then we have ice cream. We have an ice cream social uh, to celebrate when they leave. Uh, Okay. That was in my first sermon, believe it or not. Sometimes churches have an appendix that is just sleeping. It does nothing. It's just sleeping until it explodes and endangers killing the whole body. Don't be an appendix, okay? The body is a picture, is the picture that Scripture gives us of how the church is to be together. But remember I talked about competition being in my blood? Uh, competition is really in the blood of every American. However, however far back your parents immigrated, because most of us, unless we have Native American blood in us, uh, all of us, all of our families immigrated to this dirt that we live in and have given a name and a brand and a logo. Well, so depending on how far back it goes, you all get that America is like, ultra-competitive compared to most places, right? Have any? Come on. U-S-A. U-S-A. Come on, do it. U-S-A. That's pretty good. The first time I preached this, USA was really loud, and now it's not. And so, I mean, I haven't turned you against the country. It's just that you're wanting to worship and learn. And uh, What about this one? S-E-C. No? Okay. We're competitive, though, aren't we? But here's the thing, what happens, what happens when the body competes against itself? The body's not made to do that, right? We, we have antibodies to fight off foreign things that don't belong in the body, but sometimes our bodies are fighting against our own bodies. So in the life of the church, it's important to grasp the difference between competition and cooperation. You see, God values cooperation. Humanity values competition and even conquering, competing to the point of vanquishing all other competition. I mean, just look at the business world. Look at uh, AT AT&T owns... Everything now, right? AT&T owns DirecTV. They owned NBC owns all of... Everything is conglomeratized. Look that up in spell check. I'm sure it's there. Uh, it, it's incredible how competitive and conquering we are as a people, and not just Americans. But God values cooperation. So in the life of the church, it's important that we grasp the difference between those two. You see, the body, all the cells in the body cooperate with one another. There is no competition. There should not be within the body. So for Darren Lord, who led us in worship today, he's not competing with Keith, but cooperating with them in leading us in worship. Remember, Keith and Carol are in in San Francisco you know, uh, Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz, ooh, The Rock. That was another Nick Cage movie that wasn't too bad, The Rock. You know, with Sean Connery and the flares, and he's like this. No? Okay. 
you're, you're going to go look for it on Netflix today. It's the power of the pulpit. Hey, we prayed for Nick Cage. We found two movies, Prayer Works. Okay, so Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians and Colossians, Paul, who writes letters, pastoral letters to churches and encouragement to believers to coexist and cooperate as a body, all for the head, for Christ. But when the body is in competition with itself, uh, that's not a good thing. Statistically speaking, it's likely in this room that someone has had some sort of organ transplant or organ donation within their family. And when you get that transplant, you get prescribed medications. Do you know what those medications are for when you get an organ transplant? What are they for? Yes, all of the, the murmuring. Yes, it's anti-murmuring drugs. No, what is it? It is, yes, anti-rejection medication because you have something new that's supposed to function for your body like, like the, the diseased or missing part of your body. You're getting something that, has, that can do those functions, but your body is wanting to reject it because it's not the same as the original equipment that you had. Do you get that? Do you see the parallels here? It's to prevent you from rejecting something that is good, that is going to fulfill a need that the body has, but the body naturally wants to reject it because, well, it, it feels not familiar. It came from a different place. It came from a different body. Our bodies want to reject anything that our bodies sense is different. We want to expel and reject anything that's not the same. That's why, as a body, as a church, we have to protect against sameness, homogeny, all of us looking the same, acting the same, preaching the same, shopping the same places, living the same places singing the same songs. That's not the picture of the city of God that is prophesied about in Revelation chapter 7, uh, talking about every tribe, every tongue, every nation represented in heaven, the ultimate body. You see, we don't whitewash ourselves and God doesn't whitewash us when we go to heaven. Uh, we don't go into heaven and go through a magical shower then when we come out, we lose all of our distinctiveness or uniqueness. But still, we naturally want to compete. And so Darren playing the guitar, if he sees someone else come in and he recognizes them from just coming off of tour with so-and-so, if Darren's in competition, he's going to say, whoa, I, I need to puff up my chest. I need to make sure my name is taped to the mic stand, you know. I need to make sure I'm on the schedule for the next 18 Sundays so there's not a spot for Mr. So-and-so's guitarist. That's being in competition. Competition versus cooperation. The body of Christ must, must cooperate with each other. That's the picture of the body. Secondly, 
we have to wrestle with this picture of the body and the juxtaposition of this phrase that came up a lot when I asked you on Facebook, you know, what's something if you were to, if you were to plagiarize something from my sermons or what's a phrase that keeps coming up in your mind when you think of my time here, it's this, amputation versus restoration. You see, if I was a primitive medic on a Civil War battlefield and someone got injured and their, their limb, their arm was hanging on literally by a thread, out comes, well, if it was a thread, I could just use you know, sewing scissors, but you know, out comes the hacksaw and then we get something really hot and cauterize it where it's cut off and then we slap a leather cap on it and attach a hook and you know, we, go, go, we say, go get them. That's quick, that's easy, but there have been people, there have been people, uh, medical marvels that have received four limb transplants, two legs, two arms, where it's worked. But guess what? Not only do you have to battle rejection of those limbs, but you have to go through a long, long process of restoration. It's hard, it takes time, it takes expertise, and it's not always possible. It takes care, nursing back to health. Let's move off of limbs and move to something that I, I truly can't live without, cars. Anyone love cars as much as me? Yes, I, I see that hand, I see those hands. I've got some cars about ready to go up for sale, so I'll call you first. Actually, this week, this coming week, I have to sell three cars, one motorcycle, one pontoon boat, and a motorhome in a week, and I can do it. Uh, if I don't, my wife will kill me. But one of the cars uh, is a 1975 Cadillac, and it's a, it's a, it's a 21-foot-long Cadillac with two doors. It's... It's so long, it has never fit in my garage. I can't close the garage door with this two-door car. In Italian circles, we say that this car has a four-person trunk. You can put four bodies in that trunk. So it's, it's good for youth events. So Eric, maybe you need to buy it and get a nice uh, uh, youth ministry hoopty. Um, but this thing, uh, this car is in need of restoration. Back during my first sermon, I said, this car needs restoration. And then I thought, wouldn't it be a grand old plan to restore this car and park it in front of the church and, and put a sign on it that says, where we friendship, where restoration happens. I didn't know how much restoration we needed here. <laughs> I haven't had time. So it's just been sitting in my driveway and it's been molting in the heat and humidity of these multiple Tennessee summers. And so it's sitting there, I've got all these cars to sell, and my thought was, you know, I should just, I should just scrap this car. I don't have to worry about people showing up and people wanting to get it, try and get it running in my driveway so they don't have to pay for a tow, and, and people are getting good money for scrap metal these days. They are. But really what my heart wants to do is find someone who will restore it. 
Enjoy it. Make memories in it instead of just melting it down. And frankly, you know, in our lives, in, with our relationships, now when we're talking about relationships in regards to restoration versus amputation, it's really easy now to unfriend someone, isn't it? It's really easy. It's just one click. Actually, it's two clicks. It's unfriend, and then are you sure? Yes. And you're done. It's really easy to reject someone and amputate someone from your life because of something they did or they didn't do, because of differing viewpoints or approaches to life, approaches to health, approaches to governance and politics and leadership. Listen, those anti-rejection meds that someone takes so that her body wouldn't reject the kidney, we have have that. We have those anti-rejection meds right in front of us, maybe right now in your lap or in your hand, and it's called God's Word. God's Word are the God's Word contains all the anti-rejection meds that we need for the body. And specifically, it's it's kind of a nine medication cocktail. And it's called the fruit of the spirit. It's it's culminated in this one cocktail called grace. You see, the fruit of the Spirit and grace are the anti-rejection drugs that prevent the body from attacking itself. The fruit of the Spirit is what knits all of our body parts, the cells of the church, together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, self-control. Think about those nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. It's really hard to reject and amputate people when you're loving, when you're joyful, when you're peaceable, when you're patient, when you're kind, when you're gentle and good and faithful and self-controlled. means that it takes more than two clicks to amputate someone. The Spirit of God knits us together with those anti-rejection drugs by the power of the Spirit and through the grace of the Gospel. Do you know that it is physically, emotionally, and spiritually impossible to show grace to someone when you're offended? It is impossible, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, to show grace to someone when you are offended. I am so offended. When that comes out of your mouth, you are incapable of showing grace. Let that sink in. Does does that make sense? You've got to get past the offense to show grace. So how do you and I remember that? You remember how offending you are and how offending you have been to God in your life. How your life has been offending to a perfect and holy God. And you remember the grace that you've received through the life and death and resurrection and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit is what keeps us, it should keep us, it's powerful enough to keep us from rejecting one another. It's when we reject the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we reject the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that allows us to reject one another. It's our refusal. The power is there. It's his power. It's not ours. And it's what motivates us to restore one another and not just toss each other onto the scrap heap. It's that magical thing. It's that supernatural thing that prevents us from saying it's either him or me. I can tell you right now, as, it, as, as weird as it sounds to say, as your pastor, if you come to me and says, it's, if, it's either him or me, it's either her or me, you either amputate them or I self-amputate, I don't participate in amputations. I participate in restorations. I might observe self-amputations, but I don't participate. Unless someone's breaking the law, endangering someone's life, I'm going to be open to restoration happening in that relationship. And if it takes too long or if it's too slow, I understand. I totally understand. There are other churches that you can walk away to. But if I will amputate, amputate for you, I will amputate you. If I'm willing to do that for you, I will do it to you. And for all you single people out there, there's an important lesson in that. If someone will do something for you, they'll do it to you. If they'll cheat for you, they'll cheat on you. I want to be in the business for the rest of my life, in the business of restoration. That's my heartbeat. That's what the Holy Spirit leads me to. That's what grace does. So the fruit of the Spirit and grace are the anti-rejection drugs that prevents the body from attacking itself. But let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? But let's rewind a bit before verse 12. Uh, and because the very first part of the chapter talks about spiritual gifts. We all, as, as Christians, most of us love talking about spiritual gifts. We all love superpowers. I want to be invisible. I want to fly. I want to whatever. But what's my spiritual superpower gift? What do I bring to the table? But I, am, I intentionally skipped that first part of the chapter to come back to these verses. Uh, after we talked about the body, verses uh, 4 through 7. So let's look at those uh, four verses. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different results, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each person. The manifestation of the Spirit, those gifts, is given for the benefit of all. For the benefit of all. Say that with me. For the benefit of all. You see, that repetition was the, for the benefit of y'all. Um, so 
It's going to be interesting to see how many times I say y'all uh, on the West Coast. My daughter has no discernible drawl whatsoever, and she's convinced that when she goes to her new school, she's going to talk like a Southern belle just to have some fun with her friends. <laughs> we'll see. I said, eh, I could backfire on you. Okay, so that for the benefit of all, what these four verses are saying is something quite uncomfortable, actually. Did you, did you feel uncomfortable reading those four, four verses? Probably not. Um, but here's the uncomfortable truth about God, specifically His Holy Spirit in these four verses. The Holy Spirit is not for you. 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 The Holy Spirit is not for me. The Holy Spirit is not for you or I as individuals. The Holy Spirit is for the benefit of all. Yeah, 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 pastor, but I'm one of the all. I'm one of the all. Uh, and you're one of the all. Eh, not quite. The Holy Spirit is for one and one only, and that one is the body. The one body. Stay with me. The body. Does the Holy Spirit do things individually in each cell's life? Yes, the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. The Holy Spirit reveals sin in our lives and convicts us of that sin and drives us to godly repentance. But the Holy Spirit unifies us. He does all those things in us as cells for unity of the one He is for. But the Holy Spirit was given to the Disciples at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak other languages that weren't for them but were for others, for the rest. And they share the gospel and that was to do the work and mission of Jesus of reconciling and restoring sinners to our Heavenly Father. So the Holy Spirit is for the health and growth of the church which is the body. The Holy Spirit is for the health and growth of the body, which is the church. So, lastly, God works through you and me, through different spiritual gifts. But His plan, His design, is to work through you and me, through the body not as individual cells, supercells that are doing great work out there, unattached, floating like super amoeba. That's not how the body works. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when Jesus told his disciples, uh, when he broke the bread and gave it to them, and he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. There's that body language again. Do you realize that Jesus gave his physical life, his physical body, so that we can become not individual supercell soldiers for Jesus, but so that we could become 
one body. Jesus is the ultimate surgeon, reconstructive surgeon, antiviral, anti-rejection drug. But he's more than that, right? He is the head. He's assembling us. He died to assemble us so that he would have a body to do his work. So that you and I could be the hands and feet of Friendship Community Church. And the community in this church has always had a great reputation for loving the community. Amazing. But we've not only got to continue that and keep that front of mind, but amplify that. For us to become known, famously known for loving one another, for loving people that are different, that are transplanted, that are, are yeah, transplanted into our body, that other bodies have rejected these organs, and we've said, no, 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 we can, we can do something with that. We, through God, we can give glory to God for that where we become famously known for loving each other, that we become known not for our amputations, but for our restorations. Because when we say things like, it's either this person or me, it's either we do it this way or I'm hitting the highway, that's an act of terrorism. Right? It's, it's like putting a, a gun to the head of the body, or the body of the body, and saying, cut it off, or I'm cutting this off. That's terrorizing. Lose this arm, or you lose this arm. I personally, as a pastor, and just as a leader in general, I don't negotiate with terrorists. I think that that's a really good policy. And I want us to be... I want us to be a church that is patient, because restoration takes time. In that Cadillac, if you're going to restore it, it's, you need to know that there are wasp nests and probably a rabbit living in the wheel well. I don't know. There's unseen things that come with restoration that you don't know until you get into it. <laughs> I knew and I know that there are unseen things here at this church that specifically I'm not expecting or that I wasn't expecting that I would have to tackle along with the leadership of the church. My first Sunday, one of the staff members didn't show out of like silent protest of my hire and resigned my first day Okay, that's interesting. Um, and I could go on and on about the wasp nests and rabbits <laughs> that uh, I wasn't expecting. But I understand that, that things like that take time. And so my prayer for friendship is that we continue to become a church that is rooted in the gospel 
of God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice and that we are a place where people say, I'm not too broken to go there and they're not going to rush me on my faith journey, but they are going to challenge me to grow. That's my prayer. And so, two, that we worship not a man, not a human, not a name or a building or a logo or a motto, but that we worship the head, that the head is our identity and it's not the cell preaching each week. And so if you are in a leadership position here at the church, either paid leadership or volunteer leadership, if you volunteer as a greeter or, uh, or in the children's ministry, here's the thing. And this is, is controversial almost five years ago, and it probably is equally controversial today. Here's what I want you to do if you're in leadership. I want you to pray for your replacement. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. No, 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 no. I don't want a replacement. I need my gifts affirmed. I want you to pray for your replacement. I want you to pray that God would identify who it is that's going to take your place. And as it was then, as it was true then, it's true now, this is not me cleaning house. Don't get me wrong. That's discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Praying for your... Do you see the Apostle Paul writing letters, pointing at how great he is and how, how, how irreplaceable he is? No, he's constantly encouraging people and lifting people up and training people up and, and trying to offload responsibility instead of hoarding it for himself. That's discipleship. Discipleship does not happen until you identify someone, some people that might be able to replace you and you invest in them. Who's going to do it better than you? Because you've learned all the hard lessons and you can help them avoid making the same ones. And here's the thing. This morning, I want us to pray, and it sounds less weird now than then, but it sounded really weird then. I want us to pray this morning, um, and I want to practice what I preach. This morning, I want us to pray for your next pastor. And back then, people were like, no, 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 no. We just got, no. That's the thing. I want you, if you're an elder, I want you to pray for the next elder that's going to take your place. If you're in the donut ministry, <laughs> oh man, that's a ministry, that's my spiritual gift, the donut ministry. Um, if you're a greeter, I want you to pray for your replacement. I want you to pray because when you start praying for people that you haven't ever met, it gives you a heart and eyes to see people that God puts in your path that you can invest in. It opens your eyes to identify. So when you hold your giftings, <laughs> when you hold your job title, here's a phrase, with open hands of what? Faith. 
when you hold them with open hands of faith, it can't ever become an idol in your life because it's God's, not yours. See, when you hold your giftings and your desires of how you want to be used with a tight fist, as good as those giftings and and desires can be, when you hold them with a tight fist, you fashion idols out of good things because of your white-knuckled grip. That's why God many times keeps gifted people out of areas of service where they could use their gifts because they're idolizing their identity. They've made a flaming jack-o'-lantern out of serving, out of ministering, out of teaching. But when you hold them with open hands of faith, you're saying that not only are these giftings and this life and this cell is not mine, but this church is not mine. This church is not mine. This church is not yours. This body belongs to the head. And not this head. Not your heads. Not the elders' heads. Not the staff's heads. Not the greatest tithers' heads. Not the person that's been going here the longest. But Christ as the head. This body, my body, belongs to my head. And what the head wants to do with this body, I'm. That's what happens. Multiple times this past week, getting um, our house ready uh, for an open house and uh, to be on the market. Multiple times the past two weeks, maybe even longer, I wanted to stop. My body wanted to stop working outside. I think both of my hands or my thumbs, I think both my hands are sprained. Like if I bend my thumb too far this way, shooting pain from gripping power tools and, and drilling out uh, a, a, this, a fur door slab to, uh, to pressure washing till the cows come home to like holding up pieces of plywood by myself, eight-foot sheets of plywood, and trying to screw things in, being a one-man. I mean, I needed more cells this week. I certainly needed more arms, but there were multiple times in the past few weeks, especially working outside in the heat and the humidity, that my body wanted to stop. All of my cells were saying, go eat ice cream in the air-conditioned home that you're trying to get ready to sell. But my head told my body, no, we need to finish. There isn't much time. We've got a lot to do. My body did what my head told me to do. Now, a lot of my cells still complained and shot emails to my head. But my head read some of them, and then sent polite responses. Some of them, some of the messages that my body sent me just went into my junk file. Said, I got to get this done. The body belongs to the head. Your body does what your head tells it to do outside of very rare circumstances. So the last 
message. The one, well, there's been more than one, but the main point that's an original main point for this sermon that wasn't in the first sermon, I'm giving you bonus content. That's this. Listen to the head. Don't be a headless chicken or a headless horseman. Listen to the head. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give to you our time. We give to you our talent, our work efforts. We give to you our treasures, not just what we own, but what we hold dear. We, we want to hold them, Father. We want to hold them with open hands of faith, knowing that the drumbeat, the march to be an individual and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be competitive, that that's the flesh. But God, we acknowledge that there is humility in cooperation. There is grace in forgiveness. There is hope in knowing that I don't have to be my own Savior, that no one is the Savior of this church other than the, near, other than the head, your Son, Jesus. Father God, I pray for the next man that you would call to take my place at friendship. I pray that you will be preparing a heart a tender heart towards these people and their families and the families that have yet to grow out of this body. Father, I pray that you will give him a heart of restoration, that you would give him more wisdom that would put my limited wisdom to shame. I pray that this church will not become famous for what we do or how slick we become, but that we will become famous not only for loving our community well, but for loving each other well. Because that's how the church in the book of Acts grew. The community saw how well they loved one another and they said, I want that. Where does that come from? And we can say, Jesus, help us. Help all of us, Father, to be interim in our own minds because we already are. To know that this is not our home. To remember that we are ambassadors of heaven. That is our home. Help us, Father God to love each other extravagantly in grace, cooperation, and restoration because you have restored us. Restore our souls the rest of this morning through worship. In Jesus' name, amen.